This is a place. This is a place. This is a place. We want to talk about. This is a place. Thank you for listening to This Is A Place podcast. My name is Brandon, and I'm joined by a man who went to a haunted house that only played 70s music. Nate. At first I was afraid. I was petrified. But I survived. Good. I'm glad you did. (laughs) I appreciate when a haunted house goes out of their way and plays different music. Plays different music? Yeah. I don't know if I've really noticed haunted houses playing music inside the house. Maybe out in the I parking guess lot. maybe I'm thinking more. Maybe it's usually in the prep. So I went to the haunted hollow last week, a couple weekends ago, and they have a a waiting area outside, and they're playing music. And it tends to be the same stuff, you know. Everybody goes back to the Ghostbusters, the Thriller. Monster right. Mash. I mean, great, great, solid music. But it's good when they mix it up and they throw in different stuff that still fits into that that vibe. That's true. I have not been, I've never been to that one. But I remember my first time going to Haunted Forest because those two are related, right? I believe so. I think they're in the same family. And I just remember going to the Haunted Forest and like you you know, out of the parking lot, you go into like, I want to say like a little barn looking type building dance hall type thing. And you walk through the line. And then when you get to the front of the door, you're like, finally, we're going through. All it does is take you outside to another huge line. (laughs) It's bigger (laughs) than the one you were just in. So you're like, oh, well, that was disappointing. So Haunted Hollow and Haunted Forest are definitely the same family because that's the exact same thing that happened. Oh, really? You go through, they've they've got the line to get your tickets. You go through a house they've put together, a haunted-looking house in the front. Go through that, enjoy some scares, come on the other end, and then you have the long outside wait. Mm-hmm. And they had over on the side a kind of a, sh- a shack thing, and then what you go into is this big, you can only describe it like a cave with a skeleton head on the front. But, yeah, it's pretty similar. You end up waiting that line. We did get opt for the fast passes to get through it a little bit quicker. It's been a while. I think it's been 20-plus years since I've been to the Haunted Forest. Have you done any haunted houses this year, aside from Frightmares? No, we just did Frightmares. Um, And I wanted to do our friend of the podcast haunted house, but Murray City's not cooperating. Yeah. So Dead City's not opening up this year, unfortunately, but they are taking all their gear and stuff to the asylum forty seven. Is that what it's called? Forty nine. Forty nine, forty seven, forty eight. Math is hard. Um <laughs> out in Twilla. So I don't know if I'm going to have time to get out and visit them before the end of the year. So I'm just a little disappointed that Dead City didn't 
pull through. They would have. Or, they, I, they would have. I should say Murray City. So shame on Murray City. I think we should make some of those banners that those people hold at stoplight saying shame on whatever. And we'll just hold one outside City Hall at Murray. Shame on all them for not helping making things happen. Shutting down an awesome haunted house. Yeah. But I do kind of want to check out the Castle Chaos because they keep advertising. It's like one of the best in the country. Um, I've always wanted to check out Fear Factory. It just seems like the ambition's there and then there's not enough time. And then Halloween's over. Yeah, it goes it goes fast. That's why you have to start in September. Because if you don't, the whole season runs out too quickly. Well, that's what I loved about Dead City is um, some of the most of the haunted houses when Friday the 13th falls on Friday the 13th. <laughs> when Friday the 13th happens, they they open up for that weekend. Usually mm-hmm. that's not every year something like that happens. But Dead City just had different events throughout the year to kind of keep that Halloween spirit alive year round. And so it's kind of sad and unfortunate that. And that's not going to happen this year. Like the, we went to Krampus last year, right? Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Something different to do during the holidays, you know, out of the normal caroling or whatever people do during the holidays. But um, it was fun. I was looking forward to it this year. So again, disappointed. Coincidentally, we're talking about another haunted house today. One that neither you or I had a chance to attend. I mean, you, if you would have went, you'd have been like one. How old are you? I would have been one and two. One and 81, two. 82. I wasn't here. You were too young, but it, it lasted two years. It was a spook alley put on by a ward and it was, it was worth its whole own episode. We had the chance to speak with the son of one of the founders of the Caligari's clinic and so let's hear our interview with Denver Robbins. Well, this is definitely an oldie then, the, you know, 40 years ago this year. Oh, really? Yeah, this is our this is the 40-year kind of celebration that has been happening on Facebook. And I'm just lucky enough to have all of the photographs and all of the planning documents um, that went into making this. And I've been wanting to do this for a couple of years, and this is the time. Cool. 40 anniversary seemed to be a good time to do it. Right, it fits. It's good timing. Well, Denver, could you first tell us who you are outside of running this this Facebook group? Oh, sure. Um, I am a creative executive. I do um, creative production for motion picture and television, uh, corporate industrial. Uh, I've been doing that for as a producer for 25 years, right around there. Based here in Salt Lake City and um, father of three and yeah, just doing my thing. I'm a big Halloween fan um, of the season, of course. Growing up this way, I suppose that happens. I I um, uh, started out as a, a makeup artist, and we can get a little into that a little bit, I think, as a result of this haunted house growing up. And I'm assuming that was with Rocky Point. I did do work with Sydney, yeah, after – or Sid, after the uh, the haunted house of Calgary's clinic, um, a lot of um, – um, a lot of the work, the, a lot of work was done together between Sydney and my father, Sid and my father. And, oh, really? um, yeah, so I've known Sid for a lot of years, uh, about 31 years now, actually. So we did an inter- interview with her our first year of the podcast. We did a nice. whole Rocky point thing at her 
I guess her studio that she built. Yeah. In Salt Lake. There are definitely pictures of me in that in that museum studio. Yeah. <laughs> Small world. It is. Small Lake City, they they call Small it. Small Lake City. Right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't know how I found this group. I'm I know you I've heard your name a couple times. We listened to a podcast. I think you listened to Radio Ronin. Yeah, I was just listening to that. Yeah, Chung is a good friend of mine. I'm actually going down to see him in a couple weeks. So I'm assuming that's how I found it. But one way or another, I found this group about this haunted house that – or a spook alley that your father and a couple other individuals put on for a couple of years. Yeah, called Caligari's Clinic um, in 1981 and 1982. um, And it originally started as an LDS Ward fundraiser. Um, and you know, I was in today's day and age, I can't imagine that being happening, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it started out as an, as a a Mormon, um, LDS ward fundraiser. And, um, my, my father, Ken Robbins, um, his friend, uh, Scott Denhalter and their friend, Selden Young got together and proposed this and produced it. Um, my father was the art department and the makeup department. Uh, Scott did all the creative writing and Selden did all the producing, the production. And the three of them in coordination with what seemed like the entire adult neighborhood at the time uh, there in Syracuse, a couple hundred people um, put on this spook alley for two years. And it took place in a place called Freeport Center in Clearfield, Utah, which was an old uh, military base. Um, Now it's an industrial warehouse place, space. Um, but there were a bunch of abandoned buildings. Um, a World War II era uh, jail was year one, 1981, and a World War II era hospital was 1982. One of the things I read, there was an introduction that said, Caligari Clinic was created in 1981 by the Seventh Ward Bishopric during an extended state of drug-induced psychosis. The clinic <laughs> yeah. is by nature a spook alley whose purpose is to generate fun, fellowship, and cash for the state welfare fund. You already said it, but it's crazy to think of something like that happening nowadays. I know, especially least... in a drug-induced state. Yeah, yeah, the bishopric, right? <laughs> right. That was. Uh, I'm certain that was Scott's uh, creative writing doing. Uh, he did all the writing, and yeah. Sorry, continue. It was. It's exactly right. <laughs> no, it's it's awesome. I I know of at least one or two bishops that listen to our podcast, and this is a wow. call to them to step up the game. <laughs> the, maybe not the, the drug induced the, i'm not advocating for that but a spook alley of this level i think we could uh this is a chunk of treat not doing it for you brandon chunk of treat just isn't cutting it when you look at this thing and don't they always yeah. say when you sign up for a trunk or treat don't make it too scary right <laughs> i've never been to a trunk or treat in my life and i i'm not certain what it would be like other than maybe like a, a football game tailgating party that sounds right up my alley well, i seem a lot seems like a lot lately they're just they call it a trunk or treat but they move it inside the building and then everybody's assigned a door so you instead of going to a house you go to a door a different room ah. um that's the ones i've been to lately and they're you always do a pretty good job yeah, they do a good job, but they're always trying to be like, don't be too scary. You know, don't scare the kids. So, <laughs> Where's the fun in that? But, I, went to a, I went to a preview screening last night of the new Halloween movie, and it was a scary movie. The um, new one? Yeah. The new new one. Ha- yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a scary movie, but I remember Halloween in my time not necessarily being scary like, like these new movies, which is really scary really bloody really gory not fun at all and i remember halloween and even those old halloween movies being 
like scary fun, like telling scary stories around a campfire fun or ghost stories around a campfire fun. Yeah, like the jumpy, scary type stuff, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, instead of the gory <laughs> <laughs> Michael Myers type stuff, even though I do enjoy that sometimes. So one thought I just had is if someone tried to do this today, would it be more difficult with just the city codes and everything like that? Do you think it was more relaxed back in 81, 82 than it would be today to just go use an abandoned warehouse and try to get something like this going? Yeah, I don't I don't think it would be any more difficult as it related to codes. Um it would be difficult to pull off um because it was like on in it was unlike any other haunted house that I had ever seen and and have yet to see to be honest. Um Sid and Rocky Point did an amazing job. Um their artwork uh, and their set pieces were absolutely amazing, but much like the haunted houses you can go to today, they're they're walkthroughs, right? And you, right. you walk through and you'll get a vampire room and you'll get a, a zombie room or, you know, get a themed room like a, a Jason Voorhees or Friday the 13th kind of room. And then you get jump out people acting and people scaring and things like that. Uh, Caligari's clinic wasn't that at all. Um, Caligari's clinic was um, first and foremost a play, but the audience wasn't sitting in seats watching a theater. The audience was wandering around these, these rooms in groups and each room had a very specific story element that played out um the the haunted house uh the spook alley in in all was a one cohesive story you were essentially a tour group in this in this clinic this medical clinic that that you were going on a tour you know a public tour the actors had lines there were characters and tour guides it was a play it wasn't a it wasn't a jumpy scary haunted house like you see today so to have like had like a story then like a beginning yeah. and an end there was a script you had to memorize your lines and every time a group came through you performed your scene and then the group moved on we'll be right back You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. That's pretty cool. There's a, we just got back from Universal Studios and there's, we thought it was a ride and it looked like Indiana Jones style. I don't know what it's called, but it was kind of like that. You start out with an actor and she moves you to a different room and then to a different yeah. room and playing out something i don't know what she was doing was this florida or california the florida one. Oh, nice i'm gonna be there in december actually oh nice it's probably a better time to go than we went when it was wet and rainy yeah speaking of small world the halloween horror nights there in uh, universal florida um the makeup department is run by a man named michael burnett and michael was also worked with sid at rocky point doing some makeup coordination with him and then michael was also a an employee of Michael Burnett, or sorry, Michael was also an employee of Rick Baker, who did consulting on uh, Calgary's clinic as well. So it's a it's a small little world. 
Yeah, don't don't burn your bridges, right? Because <laughs> come back exactly. and bite you. Going back to the more storytelling nature of it, there's not really a haunted house, at least in Utah that I know of, that incorporates that sort of layout. Everything no. relies on the jump scares, and you're going around corners, and it's not as much of a story. Yeah, not that I've seen. And it was a coordination feat because there were about four, let's see, there were about, if I remember, six different tour guides and a group of, a tour group would be about, you know, eight to 10 people. So, for example, the first tour guide was the Count, your typical sort of Lon Chaney Dracula. He would pick up a group and, and walk them through several rooms and then hand off the group to another character called um, Dr. Bone, which is a great big skeleton. And where that handoff would happen would be just on the opposite wall of where a new group would be ready to be picked up by the count. And so they were just doing these loops and they would end a, end a group and immediately pick up another one and do the next loop. And same with Dr. Bones. Dr. Bones's appearance to pick up the group from the count was a revolving door. He would spin on this platform in a revolving door and then pick up this new group. Well, by the time he took his group through the second phase and ended up in what was the operating room, he would stand up against the wall and revolve and be right there ready to pick up another group. And so the throughput was amazing given, you know, they were only doing little groups of 10, but it was, it was much like that. It was controlled by uh, traffic controllers, people who were coordinating the timing. That's why you had to have your lines down and memorized and be on time. And also stoplights. They had buttons and stoplights. They could say, okay, you're clear to go now. And then the group can continue on. Yeah, a lot of logistics involved. Yeah, absolutely. I think the cool thing about it, I saw somewhere it had at least 200 people that were a part of this, and you're saying most of them adults from the community. I think that alone is a feat in itself because you go to any of the haunted houses, it's a lot of employing teens and maybe younger adults, but the fact that all those adults came out to make this happen, I mean, not, not to disparage the teens, but I think the adults saw that adding more, I guess, more of like the theatrics to it and really were able to make it happen. Oh, yeah. Everyone was having a great, everyone was having a great time. I've got photographs of the cast room where they're all getting ready and putting on makeup and costumes and smiling and laughing and goofing around. And it was one great big neighborhood. And um, we joke, you know, when all the adults are off doing this haunted house, you know, between rehearsals and building and then the two performance, I think it was four performance days. I'd have to look. Um, they, it was just a bunch of kids kind of left on their own. And so they started a babysitting service with uh, a few of the other adults in the neighborhood and all the kids gathered at one great big house <laughs> for two, for, you know, however many nights it was, all the kids were in one spot. As you say, that was before internet and really, Disney Plus, <laughs> all <laughs> right. that good stuff to make your own entertainment. Make babysitting right. easier. Yeah, it was a lot of people. I have the job lists. Like I said, I've got all the documentation from all this, and there I counted one night and just like, gosh, there are two hundred slots here for people to fill on all these jobs. So I was going down the lists. So did you? How did you participate in the the spook alley? Well, at the time I was eight, so I was in with all the kids. Okay. And so, but there was a contingent of teenagers um, that were in the spook alley. Um, I was there during the build process, helping my dad. I, I often say that I grew up behind set, and this is what I mean. I grew up 
building with my father and helping him out with the makeup where I could um, and spent a lot of time during the build-up process, but not while the haunt was going on. I would have just been in the way. Um, but w the Calgary's clinic had a really unique place for the teenagers. Um, there's a there's a there's a writing technique that's used in film to to prove that the situation is really serious, especially in a dramatic scene. And, and honestly, it's just you, you kill somebody, right? You kill somebody really early on to prove to the characters that this is a very serious situation. And that's a little bit difficult to do in a live performance, especially one like this. But um, the the haunted house or the spook alley had ringers um, that were plants in the in the group, and so a ringer would join a tour group right at the very very beginning, and just blend in with the crowd wearing normal street clothes. And um, they were teenagers and they were adults. And their job was to, on cue, um, vomit, pass out, freak out, um, fake vomit, obviously, and 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 show to the other audience members that this is really serious. This is really scary. They would often get, the adults would often get um, taken away by security or taken away by fake EMTs um, from having passed out. But the teenagers had a really fun special role. Um, there was a place called the Ringer Closet. And um, they, the, the, little, the little teenagers would start getting scared, freaking out a bit. Um, and while that was happening, one of the guards, there was always guards in the, in the tour group, and they were dressed as these big monks in monk robes, um, would slip a carabiner around a harness that this kid was wearing. And the tour guide, having been completely fed up at this point, would say, you know, be gone. And that ringer would be ripped through the wall, a spring-loaded wall, and disappear from the crowd. Um, some of the other things that the teenagers would get, um, they would get grabbed by monsters. They had a Frankenstein monster that would jump out of a shipping crate and grab a kid and run off into the dark with him. <laughs> it was a ringer. And people would never see that that kid again. They were spent wondering what in the world happened. <laughs> that sounds insane. <laughs> Stanley <laughs> fun, too. Yeah. That would have scared me. I mean, there's no way you would have known that they were not part of the show. No, that never happens no. at haunted houses these days. I've, I've never experienced it. <laughs> you know, my, uh, my father and, and Scott and Selden all, all came from the, the motion picture world. And so they, they kind of knew what to do and how to do these performances and write essentially a, a story or a movie that was playing out in front of you. So do you have any clue, like how many people would go through the house this year. I, I don't know what the throughput was. I'll have to ask. Um, there's some anecdotal numbers that just say hundreds, right, in newspaper articles, uh, hundreds per night, um, but it's hard to tell. There are photographs of what was the lobby area, a great big room, uh, just packed full of people waiting. And there were easily in those photographs a couple hundred in the waiting room at a time. Not bad for a little haunted house in the 80s in rural Utah. I read that there was, in 1981, 22 rooms and 26 rooms in 1982. And obviously with any haunted house, each room has their own theme. But there was some, from what I could see, at least two things that's jumped out to me is really unique and, and scary. I saw one about a, like a tarantula room, actual live tarantulas, and one or two rooms with real amputees that were at the disposal of the yeah, staff. the butcher. Um, yeah, absolutely. So the clinic... Um... Well, here's the backstory, right? The backstory is that the clinic started out as a medical facility, but 
um, because of budget cuts and lack of participation, the the medical clinic um, explored some product lines, put it that way. And so a, a lot of the rooms were named along those lines, like um, the solid waste room or the, or the liquid byproduct room or the solid byproduct room and so on. The, the amputee was a solid byproducts room. Um, we always just called it the butcher, but the way that worked was there were two amputees in that room. One of them was actually missing a leg and another one missing an arm. But when the audience members would come into the room, the, the person who was a butcher missing an arm would be wearing a fake prosthetic arm that was attached underneath a sleeve, a Velcro sleeve, they would spend, what would happen is um, as, a, as the audience was coming through, the butcher would be sawing off the leg with a skill saw and then grabbing his leg and the guy was screaming, of course, and because he's an amputee, he could lift up what was left of this, you know, stump with a prosthetic on it, a bloody prosthetic. He, and he could rile and it would, it would be very obvious that he wasn't hiding a leg under a table somewhere. And um, the butcher would go over to the meat grinder, start it up and start feeding the leg in there and then get his prosthetic arm, which was actually just somebody inside grabbing it and pulling it off. And it would rip, it would rip off the Velcro sleeve and everything revealing another bloody stump and he'd go running around and it was good, good fun. And then the tarantula room was just, you know, they called it the sand trap in room one and then the tarantula room. It's, you know, a lot of a lot of Calgary's clinic was just based on core fears um, and arachnophobia being one of them. Um, these um, corpses, people um, would be holding and handling tarantulas and there were ladybugs and all sorts of crickets and things on the ground as well. And it was just a creepy, crawly, buggy room. Tarantulas are quite gentle, but they're big and scary. Um, that one of those tarantulas uh, in that room, we ended up naming and named it Kelly. It ended up being a pet in our household for many, many years. I didn't know this, and I, I wondered when I was writing that post if my memory was just faulty. Did we get another tarantula? But apparently tarantulas can live up to 20 years in captivity. So that, that tarantula lived well into the 90s. Oh, wow. That room alone would have been scary enough for me to run right <laughs> through. <laughs> yeah, I would lo love to see Brandon go through this one. <laughs> I don't do well with the haunted houses we have now. I don't know how I would do with this one. Yeah, well. this one, <laughs> I would I would pay good money to go through this one. Oh, yeah. Three bucks sounds $3. like a bargain right now. <laughs> right? Yeah. It probably was even a bargain back then, but just with how much work and how much time, and I'm sure resources that went into putting this together. Your... Yeah, all in all, I think their budget was about 20 grand um, right around there. So I know that they got an invite to go to Hollywood correct yeah they actually uh i don't know if it was a formal invite or they just said you know we need some advice um let's go seek out the best name we know in this and at the time um so this would be you know 81 82 that would be right around american werewolf in london uh rick baker was doing that or had just completed it i don't remember and so they went out and spent some time with him and got some advice and got some some professional tips and then came back with whatever they did and made it better yeah, you said Rick Baker, who's very acclaimed. Yeah, uh, special effects makeup artist, um, trained under another makeup artist named Dick Smith, who's kind of the grandfather of uh, special effects makeup artist or makeup uh, work. Um, Rick Baker um, has won more Academy Awards for makeup than anybody else. Um, 
you may not know him specifically, but you've definitely seen his work. Um, he did the monsters in the canteen um, scene in Star Wars um, and American Royals in London, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Gorillas in the Mist. I mean, goodness, the list, is, it, the list is hundreds of films long. What happened? Why did this stop? Why did it only last for two years? I know that I know that in 1983 they tried to do it again. I don't know why it didn't happen. I know that the LDS Church um, decided that um, perhaps a spook alley was probably not the best way to raise funds, <laughs> um, and so that they they separated paths. Um, but for some reason, I've seen in the documents some proposals to do it again in 1983, but it never came to fruition, and I'm not exactly certain why. From this, a company was created called Proteus Productions, um, and that was my father and, and Selden and Scott doing um, special effects makeup. Um, that lasted for a few years afterwards, um, and that's when I kind of picked up the mantle of special effects makeup and started doing it professionally um, through the 80s and uh, 90s, and also how I got to, my father introduced me to Sid and how I got involved in that as well. Did you ever actually go through the haunted house itself? I did, yeah. Yeah, N several times. <laughs> this is how I grew up. And so, you know, my my uh, my movie watching with my father was a lot of horror films. And it was always an educational experience. The first time I ever set foot on a film was Halloween 5, actually. Oh, and you worked on that? No, I, we just crashed the set. It was... Oh. <laughs> we went there one night and my father knew it was in town because of the makeup work he was doing. And... Again, I was young at the time, so we just showed up. Yeah, we're going to watch that tomorrow night, aren't we, Brandon? Yep, that's going to be our one of our episodes for this month. Halloween 5? Well, mm -hmm. I was there during the filming of the jail scenes. Well, I think it's cool that something like this sounds like it had a big influence on you and really has put you where you're at in your career and, and the things that interest you. A small, very well-put-together spook alley that lasted just two years. Yeah, definitely has been influential. Um, you know, it still is part of Halloween is still a huge part of my life. And I love haunted houses. I'm a huge fan of Disney's Haunted Mansion. Yeah, the, in fact, you can see it back there on the wall. That's the patent for the conveyor. That's a, a haunted mansion and the, yeah, the Omnimover. And, and above it, you can't see because of the camera, unfortunately, is the, uh, the um, um, elevation layouts for the haunted mansion. So I'm a big fan. So yeah, just to say, to say that it was influential, I think is um, a, a small way to describe it. I'm looking forward to going back to the one and uh, we're going to be hitting Disney World again as well in December. And, and it's been a while since I've seen the Haunted Mansion at Disney World. I'm looking forward to seeing it again as well. I did go, I was back in Disneyland a couple months ago just for a day because um, I was out there working and it was the first time I'd seen the Haunted Mansion in its traditional form because i've seen it so many times for christmas and for night before christmas it's been a while and since i've seen it in its original form it's kind of fun yeah very uh <laughs> very quint it was nice i saw as well you know talking about the 40th anniversary of this looks like you have a way that they can get t-shirts as well yeah there was a t-shirt um that was made that has two skulls and it says you know calgary's clinic 1982 um and about, I think, four years ago or so, um, Selden found in a storage unit a box of those. And so there are probably about 15 to 20 of them still, you know, original retro run, retro ones floating around. But again, I've got all the artwork and I've got all of the 
photographs. And so we've had them reprinted. Um, on that Facebook group, there's a link um, to, I think, an Etsy page that you can get a t-shirt. They're really cool. They're very retro, kind of just basic black and white skulls. Do you ever see something like this come into fruition again? Anything you'd ever be interested in in being a part of? You know, there have been some talks here and there. Um, something like this would require a, a, at least a year in planning to make happen. Um, I'd love to do something like this again um and would definitely be willing to enter entertain it um the the original they call them the big three um ken and scott and selden are still around and it would be great to kind of pick their brain and say what worked what didn't what would you do differently now in today's world um what would you do the same you know what has to remain the same um i think one of the best things about um caligari's clinic is that the story is what drove the the scares. It wasn't that you were just going through to find scares. You were there to hear a story that just happened to also be scary. I think one of the greatest examples is probably the uh, telephone reception room. It, it's just a switchboard, any other building, right? And, and the, the person uh, at the switchboard is taking calls and um, routing calls, and they keep getting crank calls, prank calls, you know, it may not work nowadays with call, you know, um, caller ID, but back then doing a <laughs> prank call was, you know, what you did on a Friday night with your friends, but they, they had a special way of dealing with the prank callers. And so count the time who was doing the tour uh, at this particular section would tee up the idea that we know exactly what to do with prank callers. And then the receptionist would hit a button on, you know, her big old school switchboard with a buzzer and about four bodies would fall from the ceiling. <laughs> um, with their throats slit dangling from the waist you know with their arms down um right above the audience members and no one sees it coming you don't know that you know the ceiling's going to give way and then bodies are going to come flying out and it just that that was a great example of it's just a story of how they deal with things at the clinic that happens to be scary it's not just a, a boo for boo sake a jump scare but it's more than just yeah, someone jumping out of a door, that's that's cheap and it's easy, but going through right. and putting people up in the ceiling and dropping down, that's, yeah, you don't see anything like that today. No. So I would love to see, you know, if, if, if something does happen, Denver, let us know. We'll be the first ones in line to a haunted house like this. We love awesome. haunted houses anyway, but yeah, I think something like this would go a long, a long way. They're a good time. They're definitely a good time. I, uh, you know, over the, over the next... Gosh, what is it? Like the 13th, I've got nearly 16, 17 more days to do this. So every day on that Facebook group, which I think is Calgary's Clinic 40th anniversary celebration. Um, every day I'm posting a little story and a little uh, photograph. Some of the some of the newspaper reviews, um, I think at some point um, I need to get on the, the phone with uh, a couple of the people and do an interview as well and get their take on how things go. So follow along. It's um it's certainly fun and, and kind of, kind of cute very retro very 1980s yeah <laughs> go join this group it's public everyone can join it the calgary's clinic 40th anniversary celebration is what it's called denver is the one who's running it and it's been fun to follow along and i look forward to seeing additional posts as the rest of the month goes on thanks brennan thanks nate it's great talking yeah. to you guys yeah thanks denver it might be hard to get the church to pass off on something like that, but could we call it like a neighborhood fundraiser or 
a school fundraiser and get this thing to happen again. It doesn't have to be church sponsored. Right. Right. I feel like I've mentioned this before, but the two things the church goes has goes the farthest with in regards to Halloween. They do the trunk or treats, they'll allow that. And then one year an organist at the conference center did a spooky Halloween rendition of a song. That was that's as far as they'll go. Cause I get the Halloween's not probably not number one on the church holiday <laughs> list. But it's surprising to me how much members of the, the LDS church get into Halloween. Yeah. Well, we love our holidays, right? Right. And Halloween just seems from probably back 81, 82. I mean, I think it's just gotten bigger and bigger over the years. Um, which is interesting because I remember, and I've probably mentioned this last year, that in my high school career, I felt like there was haunted houses everywhere. There was these little kind of mama pop haunted houses just all over. Um, and that doesn't happen as much anymore. Um, which I wonder if it's just because it's hard to put together or just finding a place that you can make something like that work. But I just remember you could drive up and down State Street, I felt like, and there was like four or five haunted houses you could hit um, back in the late 90s. But maybe I'm misremembering. No, I think you're right. I've heard of that. There was tons on State Street and throughout the valley. I'm sure throughout the state, but I wonder how much of it is code. Yeah, cost and time and finding a place that you could do it cities that shut them down out of nowhere if i were to make a haunted house i would have it be more like a, a production a play and not not as much those jump scare items but still of course you have to include those but going through with a guide and things are happening there's a story well having having the ringer concept just sounds brilliant like I just it's amazing. Like it was almost like frustrating <laughs> listening to him talk just for that fact. Like, man, I'm so mad I never got to do it. Like, yeah, I'm just like oh, yeah. jealous, like raging with jealous jealousy because I would love to to go through something like that. And I would definitely, definitely pay more than three dollars. Maybe six. Double. When you think about it, a Big Mac meal back then was probably $3, and Big Mac meal today is $10, so $10. I'd pay $10. Yeah, there you go. Adjusted yeah, for inflation. Just... That would be so scary because you know it's fake. You know they're not actually going to hurt somebody. But in the moment... Well, yeah. Like, uh, somebody's just, like, passing out. Like, that could be part of the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's scary to know that you could pass out from your experience at this spook alley and i just wonder how many people i mean if somebody goes flying through the wall you're like okay that was part of the production very cool it would still be cool but like somebody passing out somebody vomiting like you mentioned i'm like i wonder how many people to this day probably still think that somebody really did pass out or somebody really did vomit from being scared what's that alien movie the fourth kind it's not a a wonderful scary movie but it was a movie I saw early on getting into watching scary movies. And I was so terrified of it for the simple fact that I thought it was real. They make you think at the beginning it's someone going through a, an interview like for a college. It's like a 
this this university is putting on this interview with this lady and she's talking about her experience getting abducted by aliens and the reason i was so scared for the whole movie was not knowing if it was real or not once i finally did my research like oh it's it's all pretend right but taking that that fear and putting it into a haunted house talking about the ringers and not knowing if something's real in the moment it's going to be real enough that it's going to scare you you know what i mean right just not knowing did that person actually pass out did that person actually lose their arm here in the haunted house i mean if you're young enough I would fall for it. I probably still would fall for it today, to be honest with you. But that's something I think I think haunted houses could benefit from. Yeah. The style now is to do the walk around the corner and get scared type thing, right? Yeah. So that's why sometimes it stinks if they push you through the haunted house too fast and the people you capture the people in front of you and you're like, well, now I know that person's hiding around the corner. Yeah, unless you're someone like Matt and myself, we purposely try it in a hurry to be with that group so we can see the, <laughs> see the so scares you, and not be so that's scared. That's true, yeah. Well, Nate, start saving your pennies. I think it's about time we open our own haunted house. Well, we've got a busy schedule now. We're going to have to do our own haunted house. we got to do our own pumpkin <laughs> display. Oh, so much to do. <laughs> we are we're loading our plates. We gotta quit our jobs. Yeah. Thanks for listening to This Is a Place podcast. See you next week. Mm-hmm.